0: It's so good to see you all this morning. Christmas is the best, isn't it? I love Christmas, and I know that for some of us today, you might be coming in and you've experienced the loss recently. And this Christmas is hard for you. So I do want to acknowledge that as well, that, that here at Saint, we love joy. We love to rejoice, but also we love to mourn with those who are mourning and to be with you in that moment. So just wanna say, if this Christmas is hard, we are, are here for you and, and praying that in the midst of the difficulty that God would come near to you and warm your heart. So that's what I'm praying for today. But but if you are new today, again, we're just grateful you'd be here and, and just wanna encourage you to get connected. Um, and also, I wanna say a special welcome. Welcome to our friends from Grace Community Church in Cedar Falls joining us for church today. Can we give Grace Community a round of applause for joining us? I'm so grateful for you guys being here today. I love Grace Community Church. There are some wonderful people from Grace Community and I'm just blessed to call you friends. So thanks for being here today. I pray that you'd feel so welcomed in the house. So today we're gonna conclude our Christmas series called Favor. So we've been in this for about four weeks now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter two. And, and in the series, we've looked at the major characters in the Christmas story and have considered why God chose to use them in such a significant way at that first Christmas. And, and the question we're asking is what caused God to look at these individuals and say, I'm going to use that person or that group for a tremendous purpose. So, so far we've talked about Mary and, and we've talked about Joseph and the Magi. And now today, we're gonna to talk about the shepherds, okay? So Luke 2, verse one through 20, we're gonna read this whole thing here. It says this, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when, when Quirinius, um, I practiced a lot, I don't know if I said it right. Anyways, was governor of Syria and all went to be registered And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right, the sermon title this morning, for taking notes, and I hope you are. I know it's Christmas Eve. I know it's holiday, but hey, a little notes won't hurt you. It's Ordinary Shepherds. That's the sermon title. Let's go ahead and pray for the message that the Holy Spirit would speak. So Lord, right now, we ask you uh, to speak through this message. I pray that this would not be lofty words of wisdom or my own ideas or, or something we're trying to make happen, but that this would be a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we honor it today and are excited to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen amen. So my family tree changed because an ordinary person took a step of faith and allowed God to use them. So both of my parents grew up in households that that, uh, did not know Jesus. And in 1997, they were newly married and had five children between the two of them, okay? And they're like 30 and 28. Five children. Well, I guess we are close to that. But anyways, let's go ahead and show this family picture here. So you see me in the middle of the poo sweater. Come on. That's my brother Derek, you know Derek, uh, the baby, being held, so he was back here, he has much longer hair now, looks good. So, uh, and then my other siblings are in there as well. Um, In the spring of that year, my mom got in a car accident, so about a month and a half after this, got in a car accident and broke her neck, and my brother Derek, again, who now serves as our Chi Alpha director, was only a few months old, as you can see, and he was in the car. But thankfully, he was unaffected, but my mom had to have surgery, And wear a halo. So let me show a picture of me and my mom at the park. She's going hard. She's like, I got a halo, but I'm going to be a great mom anyways. That's her spirit. As my mom recovered, uh, my parents needed people to come and watch Derek and I during the day as she could not pick us up. And they had every day covered besides one. And it was in this moment of desperate need that the secretary at our family doctor's office, uh, stepped in and volunteered to help. So let me show a picture. Her name's Donna, so Donna and my brother Derek there. And as she spent time at our house, she began to share about Jesus, and eventually one night, my mom put her faith in Jesus Christ, and my dad did shortly after that. As far as we know, there were no committed Christians in our family before this. And Donna, the secretary, she helped to shift that, and 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 she was just an ordinary person. However, she got to be used in an extraordinary way in our family's lives because first she said yes to Jesus. So first, Jesus radically saved her, but then she said yes to sharing His love with other people. Oftentimes, unlike Donna, we think that, uh, or think that we can't be used. Uh, by God for extraordinary purposes. We count ourselves out from playing a role in God's story in the world. And we think we're too sinful or too stupid or too shy or too, you know, fill in the blank to be saved and used by God. And we give God a 101 reasons why we can't serve him or make a difference in the world. But uh, Donna's story shows us that all it takes to be used by God is to say yes to him. It's just to say, yes, I'll be used by you. I'll do what you tell me to do. And the first Christmas also shows us that this, was, or that this is the case. God can save and use anybody for his purposes. doesn't matter who you are. Early in our series, we saw that he used a teenage girl named Mary to be the mother of Jesus And now today we're seeing that he used the shepherds to be the first people to see Jesus and tell other people about him. And the shepherds were nothing special. They were far from it. In fact, they were looked down upon in their society. Their flocks made it impossible to keep the details of the ceremonial law as they couldn't keep up with all the hand washings and all the rules. And they were considered to be Unreliable people who couldn't even give their testimony in court. Uh, the shepherds are ordinary people, but they weren't only ordinary, they were actually lowly, they were sinful, and they were separated from God. Unlike the hungry magi who we looked at last week, they weren't asking or seeking to be in the epicenter of God's activity. It was to these simple sinful men that God came to at that first Christmas. It was from these simple sinful men that the good news first went out about Jesus from human beings. They were the first or the first humans to preach the good news. God showed them tremendous favor at that first Christmas despite their glaring weaknesses. Okay, with that in mind, I think this begs the question, how does God show favor to sinful ordinary people like you and me, or maybe just me. And the answer to that question is found in the angel's message in Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all the people. I just want to make sure you got the all part. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so when the angels came to the shepherds, they were terrified. They were freaked out. Obviously, part of this is the fact that an angel came to them. If an angel came to you, I think you might be losing your stuff, right? You might be scared. But there's more to it than that. They knew that they were not adequate to be standing in the presence of the holy. They knew that they were sinful. They knew that they could not keep the law. They couldn't even participate in religious life because of that. And they knew that they were separated from God and had no right to stand in his presence. And fear was the common experience of human beings all throughout the Old Testament when they stood in God's presence. Because we chose sin over God in Genesis 3 and rejected him, we have felt radically threatened by his presence ever since. But the angels surprisingly tell them that they don't need to fear. Why? Because of the good news that they are bringing. And that word for good news in the Greek is the same word for gospel in the New Testament that's used for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The word gospel is used for the message about what Jesus came to do. Although the shepherds were some of the least likely people to receive God's favor, the angel says that they can experience his favor and draw near to him because of the good news or the gospel or the euangelion. That's in the Greek. Okay, so the good news is not just for the religious elite. It's not just for those who jump through all the ritualistic hoops, but it's for people who will receive it, including people like the shepherds. And this tells us why we can experience God's favor. It tells us why we can both be saved and used by God for tremendous purposes. All people can experience God's favor because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, we can all be rescued from our sin no matter what we've done and be used for great purposes. Okay, with that in mind, what I want to do for today is pick apart these two verses to explain the gospel to you. And maybe you're like, I've heard the gospel many times before. Well, here's the thing. We're supposed to keep on hearing the gospel so it can continue to warm our hearts because we drift, right? So if you've heard it before, I pray the gospel would come to you afresh today. But if you haven't heard the good news, I pray that Jesus would draw you into relationship with him this morning. Okay, so the first element of the gospel that I wanna point out is found in the declaration of Jesus's birth. It says this, it says, for unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Okay, so the first piece of the gospel is Jesus was born. Don't miss this, right? This is what we're celebrating today at Christmas. Don't miss this. It's powerful. A Savior was born. God Himself became man. In John 1:14, John says it this way: He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word referring to Jesus became flesh And dwelt among us. So the King of Kings, the King over the cosmos, the King over the hundreds of billions of galaxies, the one who spoke and it all spun into existence, He took on human form. And by becoming flesh, God made a decision that that while we cannot live perfectly, He would do it for us. All right, get this. He, he would do what we were supposed to do. Although the shepherds couldn't keep the law, Jesus would do it for them. Okay, 1 Peter 2, says, he committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Okay, so here's the thing. While we were dead, stuck in our sin and unable to obey God, Jesus the King came to earth. He resisted sin and he obeyed God perfectly. He did what we could never do. And if we trust in him, his righteous life can be credited to our account. So when God looks at us, he won't see our sin. He doesn't see the junk. He doesn't see that mistake you made. But he sees Jesus, his only begotten son. Jesus covers over us. So, so when God looks at us, he sees perfection. Imagine, imagine what it would feel like to know that every time that God looks at you, he sees perfection despite all your sin. He sees holiness. That would be radically freeing, wouldn't it? And that would cause you to draw near to him, which would then lead you to grow into the person that he wants you to be. Instead of hiding from God because you think he's always mad at you, you're drawing near to him, even in the midst of your struggle. And that frees you up to grow. And you grow not because you're trying to earn something from God, but just because your heart has been so transformed by his love that you can't help but try to live like him. You're like, if you love me this much, I can't help but respond to you in worship. I can't help but try to live the life that you've called me to live. But that's not the only reason why God became flesh. He, he, he didn't just become flesh so he could live the perfect life on our behalf. He also became flesh so he could come into our world and understand what we're going through. And because Jesus was born, he is uniquely equipped to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets what we're going through. He understands why we fail to measure up and he meets us in that space. It says this in Hebrews 4, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable. Jesus, God, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet still without sin. So what does this mean? It means means, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Come on, somebody. I'm about to get my hanky out. Come on. That is amazing. The king of kings became flesh. He has lived in our space. He understands what we're going through. And now we can confidently draw near to him saying that this is a God who understands us. And some of you this morning have bought into the lie that God doesn't get you. You're like a teenager. He just doesn't get me. Or that God doesn't want to be around you. Or that God is constantly mad at you. All the while, there is a Savior who has become like you, has lived the perfect life for you, all because He loves you, and He is waiting eagerly for you to come to Him this morning. And the fact that God became man shows us that He does love us and He does understand us. He has lived in our world. And this week, our daughter Jane was was wanting to wear this Christmas light necklace. I think it's from Dollar Tree. You've probably seen it, it's very popular. And she was wanting to wear, or to wear it around the house, but we bought it for the very specific purpose of her taking it to school for her Christmas day or whatever that was. And Emily told her, she said, it's not a good idea for you to wear these necklaces. They're from Dollar Tree. So then or they're not the most you know sturdy necklaces out there, and it could break it, and we need you to have it for school but she's but she persisted, and I tell you, my daughter Jane, she is a persistent one. You cannot win an argument with her and and, and we were trying to get our house clean for our staff Christmas party, so we're like. All right, girl, if you really want to wear it, go ahead and wear it. And she's wearing it. And I said, but here's the thing, you have to help me clean because there's a lot to clean up. There's a lot of toys in this basement. I need your help. And, and, and she did it, you know, begrudgingly, but she helped. And, uh, and eventually she was picking up a toy and her necklace got caught and snapped. And immediately she was panicking because she knew she wasn't supposed to do that. And then she had the audacity to start blaming us for the necklace breaking. <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. We told you not to do this, you crazy girl. She's blaming us. And you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little hair annoyed, a hair angry, maybe a little bit. But I'm like, I'm thinking back to times that I've made mistakes. And oftentimes when I make mistakes, I tend to want to blame other people for my mistake because it makes me feel better. Makes me feel like it's not all my fault, right? I, I, I'm tempted to be defensive, and I realize that's what she's doing. She knows it's her fault. She feels horrible about it. So I, I just, you know, gently put my hand on her cheek, and I said, "Jane, you're blaming us because you feel bad, don't you?" And she started to nod. And I said, "Jane, you don't need to blame me or mom or anyone else. This was totally your fault. It was wrong of you not to listen to us. So hear me. I'm going somewhere." <laughs> I said, we're very disappointed, but all you need to do is recognize that you missed the mark and apologize. And there's so much grace and mercy for you. There's forgiveness for you. We don't wanna be mad at you. There's grace for you if you'll just own it. And she started to kind of lighten up in that moment and she said she was sorry. So because though, I've experienced what she's went through because I've had that tendency to blame people, I was able to come down to her level and meet her where she was. I was able to sympathize with her weaknesses. And as I did, Jane was able to experience the, or the radically freeing power of true forgiveness both uh, from us but also for herself because she was really mad at herself. And not just that, but then Emily the next day, being the great mom that she is, I feel like sometimes my sermons are like highlight reels of Emily, how awesome. She was cutting up strawberries last week in the middle of the night. Now this week goes and, and gets her a necklace so she can bring it to school. So, uh, so Jane was able to get a new necklace to, uh, to wear to school. And I just felt like uh, just as Jesus' righteousness can cover our un- unrighteous life, Emily was able to cover over Jane's fault And she was able to wear a necklace to school without anyone knowing that she broke one the night before. And the gospel of truth, here's the thing, the gospel of truth that that Jesus was born is why or part of why we can experience his favor. He has lived the perfect life for us and he understands what we're going through. But that's not the whole gospel. There's more to it. Let's go back to the angels... Uh, declaration that Jesus was born. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. So notice he calls Jesus a savior. How exactly does Jesus save us? Well, the song of the angels gives us a glimpse. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Okay, the savior will save us by bringing peace to those whom he is pleased with. And this word for peace means the end of warfare or enmity and the implication or the implication is that humanity has been at war. And the primary person we've been at war with is God. The Savior is ending that war and he's giving us peace with God. But how does he do that? Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans. He says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were Or we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Although we're sinners and we do not deserve God's favor, Jesus, he justifies us. And that word justified means that he makes us right with God. He does this by dying for us. Through his blood, we are saved from the penalty of our sins and reconciled to God. Because Jesus bled and died, Ordinary and simple people like you and me can be made right with God. So that's the second piece of the gospel: is He bled, He shed His blood, and He died. Because He bled and died, you and I can have peace with God. But there's one more element that I think we need to get of the gospel here. After telling the shepherds that they were bringing good news of great joy for all the people and that the Savior was born, they then tell the shepherds precisely who Jesus is. And they say this: they say, "Who is Christ the Lord?" who is Christ the Lord. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means literally anointed royal figure. Okay, when the angel calls him Christ the Lord, he's telling us that Jesus is the king or the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for and that the world needs. Israel longed, you see this throughout the Old Testament, they longed for a king who would administer God's rule on the earth and rescue them from their... Oppressors and free them from their sin. And somehow, this baby in that manger is the Messiah. It's interesting because Luke introduced this part of the story by mentioning Caesar Augustus in his census. And I think he does that on purpose. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who became the sole ruler of Rome. After a civil war, he turned the Roman Republic into an empire and he became the emperor. He proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world and that he was a son of a god, that his dad, Julius Caesar, was a god and he was a son. And many said that Augustus was the savior of the world. He was the king. He was the Lord. And many people worshiped him. But the angel and Luke are saying that the true king is not the emperor off in Rome, but this baby in this manger. Somehow, God will use the apparent weakness of this baby to overturn the powers of this world. And we see later in Luke's gospel how this happens. After Jesus dies at the hands of Rome, he rises from the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell. And then he ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, and he shows that he is the son of the one true God. He now rules over the world and he is set on restoring the world once and for all on the last day when he saves his church from the powers of this world and renews the heavens and the earth. Come on somebody, that'll preach. All right, the gospel, third thing is Jesus rose and became king. Because he rose, because he's king, if we trust in him, or trust in him, we can also overcome death and sin. And we can have hope of our future resurrection just like Jesus and confidence in the midst of our weaknesses. And not just that, but the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of our hearts. The very Spirit of the living God comes and lives in us and empowers us to step into all that God has for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that the angels were proclaiming. Jesus was born. Jesus bled and died on that tree. And Jesus rose and is the rightful King and Lord over the universe. As those Angels joyfully sang, uh, or this is how Jesus came to give peace to those with whom he is pleased. And that peace is available to each and every one of us this morning. An important thing to notice though is that peace only comes to those with whom he is pleased. If you want this peace, you must be someone who God is pleased with. Well, who is God pleased with? Simply put, God is pleased with those who receive him. So John 1.12, it says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. All you gotta do is accept him and you'll become a child of God and you'll be made right with him. The crazy thing is that these are the ones who receive God's favor, those who simply receive the gift and this is what the shepherds said. They joyfully received the gospel. They're like, this is awesome. I receive it, thank you. And this is why they were shown tremendous favor. Okay, with that in mind, if we want the same favor that the shepherds received, all we have to do is receive the gospel as well and truly believe it. We need to receive the same good news that they received and that's been being preached for the last 2,000 years. Jesus has given us the greatest gift in the world, but he is simply waiting for us to open it up. Over the years, I've gotten quite a few gifts that I haven't opened, I'll be honest. I've opened the wrapping paper, but not the package. And a couple years ago, a dad of probably two kids at the time, I wanted to become a FIVA expert on the Xbox. I'm like, I'm gonna get FIVA this year. I'm gonna find something fun to do. My life is very serious being a pastor. I'm gonna play some FIVA this year. It's gonna be a good year. I got FIVA. I never opened it. Don't have time for video games, you know? So I still haven't become that, that FIFA expert, but someday, someday. Have you opened the gift of the gospel yet? Have you opened the gift? Or is it sitting there all wrapped up in the entertainment standard? Is that just my FIFA game? I don't know, but point is, have you opened the gospel yet? Have you opened the gift? Have you stepped into right relationship with God? If not, what in the world is holding you back? Is it because you think this life is better than what Jesus has to offer? I'm telling you, it will, it's gonna fail you. This life will not measure up to what you think it's gonna give you. It's never gonna fulfill that God-sized hole in your heart. Is it because of shame or guilt? You feel like God wants, or he wants nothing to do with you? Is it fear? Uh, today, the angel comes to you and he says, do not fear. I bring you good news of what? Great joy, which means it's better than the other things that you think are gonna fulfill you. And it's for all the people. It's even for you. It's even for messed up people like me. And today, he's asking us to receive it. If you want the favor that the shepherds had, you must simply receive the gospel like they did. Okay, with that in mind, let's look and see how they received the gospel. It says this. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. I love that. Haste. Like they were excited to receive him. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. After hearing the good news, the shepherds wasted no time in finding Jesus and beholding him. And as they looked at that baby, they were changed. And this is a picture of how we can receive the gospel. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that all we must do is call on the name of the Lord and we will be saved. All we got to do in a sense is behold him like the shepherds did. All we got to do is look at his face, call on his name, and make him our Lord. And in that space, he forgives us. He gives us life. He gives us the Holy Spirit. If you want the favor of the gospel, just look at Jesus today. Go and behold that baby in the manger and trust in him. We receive the gospel by trusting in Jesus And as we trust in him, as we look at him, let his love change you. Let his power move you. Be stirred by all that he is and all his gentleness and all his glory and all his truth and all his love. And let him be the Lord of your life. It doesn't stop there, though. I love that it doesn't stop with him looking at the baby. The shepherds, they look at the baby and they're like, that is an awesome baby. And they accept that baby. They're like, you're my Lord and you're my Savior but then they respond to the baby. They they let that baby stir them to do a couple things. They knew they needed to do something with the gift they received. And their decision to not only receive the gospel, but to respond to it, it led them to not only receive God's favor in salvation, but to receive God's favor in purpose. It says this in verse 17 and 18. It says, When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them after seeing Jesus, they had to tell somebody about it. And they knew they could not keep the gift to themselves. And this is how they were not only saved, but they were used by God. Okay, so here's the thing. We respond to the gospel by telling other people about Jesus. We go and we tell. We go tell it on the mountain. Okay, anyways, that was weird. Okay, so this morning, we need to get to a point where we believe the gospel so much that we can't help but share it with other people. It's just natural when you love somebody, you got to tell someone about it. When I started dating Emily, oh boy, Facebook was blowing up. I love this woman. She completes me. She's just the most beautiful gift from the Lord that I've ever received. Everyone's like, Bleh. People are so annoyed with us. I lost a lot of Facebook friends in that season but I loved her. I got to tell someone about this beautiful gift from God. It's just natural to tell other people about Jesus when you've received his love. We couldn't help, uh, or we couldn't think of keeping it to ourselves. And this is how we live a life of purpose and consequence. We go tell people about him. There's at least one more way though that, that uh, that the shepherds show us to respond to the good news. It says this in 20, It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After the shepherds saw Jesus, they couldn't help but glorify and praise God. That's the second way we respond to the gospel. We respond to the gospel by worshiping Jesus. When you've truly encountered the ferocious love of God, you can't help but respond and worship and worship includes you know praise and song but it also includes obedience and holiness it includes sacrifice you can't help but lay everything down at that baby's feet and some of you have received the gospel you confess faith in Jesus Christ but you haven't responded to it yet by truly worshiping him with your life you tried to still be the master of your own life but here's the thing when you encounter the true Jesus you should want to obey and please him you don't obey him because you're trying to earn something but because you've been given so much and you can't help but think of responding to that and we respond to the good news by by looking at Jesus and trusting in him but then it goes a step further and we tell other people about him and we worship him as we receive and respond to the good news we step into the epicenter of God's favor as you worship Jesus, as you tell other people about him, as you trust in him day by day, you step right into the epicenter of divine activity. And just like Donna, who led my parents to Jesus, and these shepherds who, pro- who proclaimed the gospel, we get to be a part of God's story in the world. Okay, with that in mind, as we've journeyed through this series, we've seen that God chose Mary because, boy, she was humble, right? And God chose Joseph because he was courageous. And God chose the Magi because they were hungry for God. But the shepherds, they weren't chosen for any particular reason other than the fact that they were willing to receive and respond to the gospel. God chose them despite their sinfulness, despite their ordinariness, And this should give us profound hope. God's favor comes to anyone who is willing to accept it. If you want the favor that the shepherds had, we must receive and respond to the gospel like they did. That's the main idea. If you get one thing today, take that with you. If we want the favor that the shepherds had, we must receive and respond to the gospel like they did. As I shared... Earlier, my parents became Christians when I was a child. I grew up in the church. I loved the church as a kid. I believed in Jesus for my whole life. However, my life until I got to college was a life of believing intellectually in my brain that Jesus was the king, right? Like, yeah, I think, yeah, I believe that, but not really knowing him, not really knowing his heart, not really living like him. I definitely had religion, but I'm not sure that I had Jesus. I put all my hope in this life. I was trying to find meaning, satisfaction, purpose in this life and and, and what I could achieve and how how good I could be at things, if I could get the right girl. I put my hope in this life and I had no victory over sin. My life was raging with sin. I had a desire deep in my heart to be holy. I wanted to be holy because I knew that's the right thing to do, right? It's good to be a good person. I had a desire to, you know, to be like Jesus in some sense. And I felt really bad when I messed up in big ways. But I didn't really, I didn't really live a holy life. Has anyone ever felt that before? You ever feel like you're you're genuinely trying to be a Christian? You're trying to do the whole thing, but you just can't seem to live out the life that Christianity calls for? And this caused such a tension in my spirit, I knew that I was living a double life. At church, there was a Christian Daniel, and then there was also the Daniel who did whatever he wanted and was overwhelmed by sin. I played on the worship team at my youth group. I would try to convince my friends that God was real in the hallways at school, but I didn't really live like Jesus. I was overwhelmed with sexual sin and alcohol and wicked thoughts, wicked words. A true life with God, the life that the Bible promises, it seemed so elusive to me. I was afraid, when it came down to it, I was afraid of what God actually thought of me. And I constantly ran from him. I was constantly hiding from him. I would come to services like this, you know, Christmas Eve or Easter or a conference, whatever. And I'd make decisions that I was going to, to finally overcome sin. I was gonna live the life that I was called to live. But every time I would fall back, to the same old patterns, the same old routines. And I thought it was my responsibility to to climb myself out of these sins and I couldn't do it. And this led to a cycle of shame and guilt and hiding from God. And after my senior year of high school on July 22nd of 2011, I was at a party, which I normally was at that time on the weekends and I took things further than I ever had before. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, God could never love me now. After everything I've done, I've crossed every line that I set for myself. I have nothing to bring to the table, spiritually speaking. There's no way that he could love me at this point. And I came to the end of myself. I went home the next morning, went into my bedroom, shut the door, and just started weeping before God. It felt so cut off from him. I felt like he was so mad at me. I disappointed him so greatly that he would never show me mercy again. And after laying there for a bit, uh, my mom came into the room. (laughs) Uh, she knew something bad had happened obviously she just began to pray over me she prayed Jesus showed Daniel that there's nothing that he could ever do to separate himself from your love and so what she did really she passed along to me what Dona taught her 14 years before in that moment I encountered God's love in a way that I never had before this was different I came face to face with the authentic power and love of God. I knew that I knew that I knew that there truly was nothing that could ever separate me from his love. As I heard that good news, I knew that there was nothing to do other than receive it. I had nothing to prove, nothing to earn. I just needed to receive it. I needed to believe that it was true. I looked at Jesus and I received his love for me. And in that moment I was changed. It felt like I was being reborn felt the truth of this verse, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It felt as if God was like stoking into flame the embers of my heart. It felt as if he, he resurrected me right then and there. Before I was dead, but now I was alive. Before I was condemned, but now I was forgiven. Before I was hopeless, but now I was bursting with joy. As this happened, I knew that this kind of love if he could really love me that much, it required a response. I told the Lord, I said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Whatever it is, I'll I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I wanna lay my life down and I wanna worship you with everything I have and I wanna help as many people as possible to worship you as well. And and for the last, I said, 12 years now, I've just been fixated on that. Lord, just help me live a life of worship to you. And, and, and help me to help other people worship you. It's not because I'm trying to earn something. I know you love me, even when I'm a big idiot. I know you love me, but I just want to respond in a proper way to your love. Since then, things have not always went perfectly. I've had a lot of setbacks. I have a lot of flaws. I have my struggles, and life has not always went the way I want it to. God's favor does not mean that you get everything you want and that everything is perfect. That has not been the case. But through it all, I've done my best to just keep looking at Jesus every morning, every day, looking at him, fixing my eyes on his eyes, seeing who he is, seeing that gentle and lowly, but strong and courageous Jesus, just looking at him, receiving his love for me and responding to it every day by saying, I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna help other people to worship you. And as this has happened, I've gotten to experience God's tremendous favor, both in the fact that he saved me, but also that he's used me. Today, Jesus is calling you and all your sinfulness, all your ordinariness to follow the same road as the shepherds. He desperately wants you to receive his love. He wants to save you right in the midst of your sin and your mistakes and your flaws and your weaknesses. He wants to save you. Hear this this morning, nothing you've done, nothing, even the worst thing you can think of, nothing you've done can separate you from the love of God. He loves you. He wants relationship with you, full stop. If you haven't accepted Christ, today is the day. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. step into relationship with him. If you call on his name, if you ask him to be your Lord, his blood will cover all of your sins and the Holy Spirit will come to live on the inside of your hearts and you'll get to live life with God forever. But it doesn't stop there. As you experience that forgiveness and that freedom, he wants to use you for extraordinary purposes. He wants to use you to tell all your friends about Jesus. He wants you to lay it all down for Jesus. And as you do, you're gonna live a life of supernatural favor. Let's go ahead and stand all across this room. God's favor is near this morning. It's near to each and every one of us. It's not something you have to grasp after or try to, or try to get. It's near. James said, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. All we gotta do is receive what Jesus has done and we'll step into the epicenter of God's activity just like those shepherds did. All we gotta do is look at Jesus, and tell other people about him and worship him and we'll live a life of favor. Let's go ahead and pray. If the prayer team would come now, prayer team's gonna be available we're gonna do candlelight. So if you wanna to come to the altar, you can, but I encourage you to be part of the candlelight. Uh, but obviously we want the altars to be open every week, so we'll do that too. But um, at this time, I just wanna give you a couple ways to respond in prayer before we do some candlelight worship, okay? So the first thing is this. If you're here this morning and you haven't been in right relationship with God, or you once were at one point in your life, but you've walked away from it, I think Christmas even is an amazing time to step into right relationship with him. So what I wanna do is I want to, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Kids are coming now. Don't mind them. They're gonna come sit with their parents. But I do want to respond to the Lord. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, just slip up your hand. You just wave at me quick, kind of let me know it's you. And then I want to pray for you, okay? So one, two, three. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, just slip them up all across this room. I see that hand. See that hand. See that hand in the back there. Is there anyone else this morning? Go ahead and and put your hands down. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer of putting our trust in Jesus and and go ahead and pray with me in your heart and church if you'd pray with us as well. It'd be awesome. So Lord, right now for for those two or three people that are putting their faith in you, God, we just celebrate with them. And God, we pray that as they, they put their trust in you, that you would transform them from the inside out. God, I pray that they would experience the true power of forgiveness and grace. God, that they would know that they are loved, that they are highly favored and that you look upon them with delight. I pray that that would be true all across this room. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Our second way to respond, and we can do this one with eyes open. If you're here this morning and you're just saying, I wanna step into the epicenter of God's activity. I wanna be a person who uses my life for kingdom purposes. I, I wanna tell people about Jesus. I wanna worship Jesus. Can you just slip up both hands right now to heaven saying that's me. I, I want my life to be used by God. So so Lord, right now, as hands are going up, we just say, hey, Lord, we want to be used by you. We want our lives to be leveraged for maximum kingdom impact. God, I pray that our lives would be lives of consequence, lives of purpose. God, I pray that you would use us for, for great and marvelous things things that that, are that right now we couldn't even imagine, Lord, that that you would call us into this and you'd help us to, to truly step into the epicenter of your activity. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.